what I'd love to have you do as you hear the scripture out of Colossians is examine your life as compared to what you hear in that scripture. Are you acting out on these things, these expectations of what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ? Start with Colossians. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Now, as we prepare for the gospel reading this morning, again, hear this word, this challenge of the kind of depth of love that truly is expected of each of us. The gospel tells us, and this is just what you're going to hear, is just on the heels of Jesus saying, I am the vine and the branches. I am the vine and the branches. An organic scripture of connection. And hear the outcome of what that means. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commandments, so that you may love one another. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of these days, the order of worship will be ingrained in me. <laughs> the danger of taking vacation right before worship we got home yesterday is exactly what just happened. You know, you'd think, you'd think, it's all right there in black and white, that even the new pastor would be able to follow it. And I just apologize for not being able to do that. I ask for your grace in the midst of that. Friends, there are two words that have permeated so much of this place, particularly over the last six years. They are emboldened in red on the sign out on Newport Way. And those two words are? Grace happens. I have to tell you that uh, a couple weeks ago, someone came to me and asked if that was the name of the church. 
So you're the new pastor at Grace Happens United Methodist Church. And I kid you not, that really did happen. Because if you look at the sign, that's what it said. And I said, yes, I'm the new pastor, but that is not the name of the church. It's Aldersgate United Methodist Church. Well, what's the whole Grace Happens thing about then? And I, I talked to them about David Tenney's accident, not accident, incident, and told the story of his being shoved off the bike by a young person who was driving down Newport Way and the physical damage that happened in him. But more important, that became a defining moment in many ways for this church, particularly at that time. That his response to that incident over and over, even as I talked to him in the hospital. I was in Southern California. He was in the hospital here trying to recover. was grace. It was intended to be grace-filled. And then I heard about your response as a congregation, that it was all about grace, of not judging those two young folks, but trying to surround them with the kind of love that they may never have experienced before. And thus came the phrase, Grace happens. But then I began to look and listen a little more intently around the church. And, and, and the question that kept propping up for me is, is this still a place where grace happens? And so in, in looking at the transition between, particularly between David and then Rhody, and Rhody's three years here, and then hearing some of the stories about that, I walked out to the wall, the rogues gallery out there on this side, two of whom are right now in this congregation with you, me and my father. And I thought about the beginning of Aldersgate United Methodist Church and looked at each picture and tried to imagine the changes that have occurred over that many years in this church. And change is just a reality often in churches. Change. And then... In meeting with Staff Parish a couple of times and listening to their concerns and, and the joys and their expectations for the new pastor. And sitting with the leadership council and asking them this question that I'm going to continually ask you now, at least for the next couple of months. What is at the heart of this church? What is of deep value to this church? What's at the heart? What is of deep value? And then the third question is, does grace happen? Well, as I was unpacking my books, and, you know, so funny, I said at the first service, my name is Brad and I'm a bookaholic. And from the very back, someone said, hello, Brad. <laughs> I said, Perfect. But as I was unpacking my books, this small book kind of almost fell out of the box. And I have to admit to you that I had never read the book. It was given to me by one of the pastors with whom I served in Santa Monica. And it's called Gracious Christianity, Living the Love We Profess. And so understand that in the midst of all of this time, of all these conversations and trying to hear what your hopes and dreams were, particularly through Staff Parish, and the leadership council, I happened on this book knowing those two words are on the sign out front. And I perused it first. And I thought, huh. So then I read it. And then I reread it. And then I read it again. 
And not only did it begin to permeate my thoughts, it also was this prophetic voice to me. And I mean prophetic, not pathetic. <laughs> A prophetic voice to me that not only does this book define who we must be as people of faith, every church should be looking at this book. So Watsky and Jacobson have come to terms with something here that we all need to grasp. That we are to be a place where grace truly happens. But the problem is, there are 27 different definitions of grace in the Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. 27. And one of those is the way you walk. I am not grace-filled that way. <laughs> so I thought, this is the series that needs to be preached. Prayed about it, thought about it, and continued to believe that this is where we need to be studying. What does it mean to be a place where grace happens? So let's go to that first slide, if we could. To me, grace begins with God. It has to begin with God. And I love this painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I love it because I think it depicts something very real for many of us. If you look at God on the right-hand side, what you see is this very strong, notice bearded, <laughs> very strong being who is, the, look at the face, the intentionality of the face and the reach. Notice that his shoulder is extended and really truly is seeking to reach toward creation that is represented by Adam us. Notice the reach of God. Notice that that reach is continuous, not just because it's a painting, but because for Michelangelo that was a very real part of his understanding of God. But also notice Adam. Adam is not weak. Look at the, the muscled body, but then you have to look at the hand. In comparison to God, look at the hand barely able to pick the finger up. Look at the comparison here. If we are to understand grace at all, we have to begin with the fact that there is a God who is much mightier, much larger than we are. My belief is that God is a God who permeates. God is a God who surrounds. According to John Wesley, and I love this term, God is a God who woos us who continually seeks to be in relationship with us, constantly seeking to move us toward a greater good. But this relationship, we had nothing to do with. And so we have grace that here is a God who loves us that much, continually seeking to reach for us, hoping that there is that moment in our lives somewhere where the two fingers, the touch connects. And that that become a holy moment. It begins with God. And I love this statement at the beginning of the book where Sawatsky and Jacobson say this. God loves everyone and every good thing in this wonderful world. Doesn't that just sound simplistic? I read that and I thought, that is the most simplistic statement I've ever heard about God. I don't want to even look at this book. 
God loves everyone and every good thing in this wonderful world. Until you begin to unwrap that statement. And they do a tremendous job <coughs> of unwrapping that statement. First three words are what? God loves everyone. I want to say that one more time. God loves everyone. And by the way, everyone means everyone. And I have dear friends who I know if they heard me say that in a sermon would get up and walk out of the room right now. They would. They would. And they would, they would argue with me. I'd get emails and calls to say, how can you possibly say that God loves everyone? Because God absor abhors and then you just fill in the blank because there's the list. God hates, fill in the blank, and there's the list. God will turn away from, and fill in the blank, and there is the list. God loves everyone. And we better understand that. Especially if we are to understand grace. Because as soon as you say, but God doesn't love, we have completely missed the idea of grace. Every single one of us in this place have done things that have separated us from God. And that doesn't mean there are personality types or situations that, that God you know, wants, but we've all done that. But let me say what I said at the beginning one more time. God continually permeates, surrounds, embraces, pulls close, seeks to be with everyone. Moving everyone, all of us, not only into a deeper relationship with each other, but toward a greater good that only God truly comprehends. But then there's the other challenge of the painting. And that is the fact that Adam is not just sitting there. His arm is not folded over his chest. He's not just trying to experience the greatness of God. He's not just saying, well, God is there and God is mighty and God is good. Adam is also reaching. And that becomes a challenge for us as well. That we need to understand that there are actions that we must take on our part in order to make grace happen. That it isn't just about accepting the love of God. What Jacobson and Sawatsky say is the same statement that goes about God loves everybody and every good thing in this wonderful world, we have to place our name in front of that same statement. Brad loves everyone and every good thing in this wonderful world. Oh, man. You're kidding, right? Well, again, that's what is being asked of us. That is the relationship. That's when Wesley talks about being co-creators with God, that that is what we are. That is what we do. That is what we are to be. And the only way that I know of that I can say that I love everybody is if I'm only filled with grace. Otherwise, what it becomes is a comparison in judgment. So the question for you for us, is, do you love everyone? Do you? And I think the answer for most of us 
is usually no. I'm having trouble loving, and then you fill in the blank. <coughs> but see, then there's another piece of this. And go ahead and pull up the next slide. There's another piece of this, and we have to come to terms with this, and it's what John read this morning out of the Gospel of John. And remember what I said is that the, just before John read about love, and greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friend, that just before that, he talks about Jesus and the fact that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. That there is a way for us to come to terms with this. And as much as we have to have some kind of belief in God, we also have to have some understanding of Jesus. And whether you believe Jesus to be God on earth or whether you believe that you are saved by his blood or whether you believe that you want and seek to be a follower of Jesus, I have less concern about how your theology works that way other than we better all seek to be followers of Jesus. Otherwise, how are we Christian? to unapologetically be a follower of Jesus and to take on then what he took on. That's what being a follower means. And by the way, who did Jesus love? And we better think about this. Who did Jesus love? Everybody and every good thing in this wonderful world. Didn't Jesus heal the child of a Roman centurion? Didn't Jesus bring back to life the child of a Syrophoenician, hated Syrophoenician woman? Didn't Jesus pull Levi out of the tax booth? Didn't Jesus tell the story of the good Samaritan? Even those that he was holding accountable, religious leaders, he loved them and shifted and redefined or defined what the law was expected to be at the outset as an act of love. And it cost him his life. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. Friends, we need to be connected to that root, that organic root. We have to be connected and rooted in Jesus, no matter our theology. Because that gives us the example of what we are to follow in a rooted way. And then we turn to Colossians, what John read first. How do we know if we're a place that grace happens? Well, suddenly we are defined by words like compassion and kindness and patience and forgiveness Suddenly, everything we do is filled with that kind of peace and that kind of difficult, challenging love. And what I want to tell you again, I said it two weeks ago, is when Jesus said to the, and answered the question about what is the greatest commandment, and he said, you will love God with all that you are because you know what? God loves you. But the second is like it, he said. You are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It also means that as we look at ourselves, we're meek and kind and gentle, forgiving and accepting. This whole area is in need 
of a church who lives that as their community understanding. That is the foundation, friends, of how grace happens. And my question to you as I begin my ministry with you is, is this truly a place that is defined by grace? Or might we have a little more work to do on some of this? I want to tell you again what an incredible, humbling privilege it is to be serving now as your pastor. But what you need to know about me is that I agree with the statement. Absolutely, fundamentally, foundationally, that God loves everyone. And our job is to reach beyond our doors and help others feel that embrace so that they too might feel the touch of heaven and that we are a place where grace happens. Grace.